but if you're using one of the Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 1073. We'll be looking at, like I said, Mark chapter 8, 1 through 10. Hear now God's holy and true word from Mark chapter 8, starting verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The word of the Lord. You pray with me. Father, we give you praise and thanks this morning for your continual and gracious provision to us. Thank you that we have your word to look into, to see the glory and majesty of our Lord Jesus. We pray that that is exactly what would happen this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work in our hearts to ensure that our hearts are open, that our ears are open that we would be changed and transformed by what we see in this passage this morning. And we pray that you'll use this time to equip us to run with the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A lot of you know that uh, my family and I have had an Italian exchange student living with us for the last 10 months His name is Luigi. I probably could have told you that and not where he's from, and you would have figured it out. Uh, Luigi, and he's become a really great member of our family. We've really grown to love him over these last months. It's going to be really hard to see him go. Um, Anyway, uh, we uh, had a great opportunity to go to his graduation. And the sweetest part of that was that his parents flew in and his sister, and they surprised him. So... Uh, they knocked on the door and Luigi opened the door and there's his parents and his sister. And I wish I could have been there, but he was just like, what? Uh, 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 you know, just like this great moment. Anyway, so then we went to the graduation with them and then they said they wanted to take us out to dinner. So we said, okay. And so then we found out that they wanted to take us to Kobe, uh, the Japanese steakhouse on Colonial. And then Hannah and I were like, yes, because we have been to Kobe a couple times, and if you've been to Kobe, what you know is when you leave Kobe, you are stuffed. I mean, you are so full. It's like so much food with the noodles and the vegetables, and the, I know we're right before lunch, sorry, but it's just, it's amazing, right? And 
Luigi's parents and sister, you know, they'd never been there. And that was very apparent. I knew it immediately when they ordered appetizers. I'm like, no, you don't understand what's coming. You do not understand what's about to come our way. You don't need appetizers at Kobe because you're just going to leave stuffed. And, and we did, as usual. Uh, every time you go there, you just leave so stuffed, satisfied. Oh, it's just awesome. And what we see in this passage is that that's what Jesus does. Jesus satisfies this crowd and he satisfies you and me. But if you're honest, I think a lot of us don't feel all that satisfied right now. I think there's times in our lives where we really feel dissatisfied with things that are happening, like things sometimes at our job. You're very dissatisfied with what's going on at work. It's hard to feel satisfied. It's hard to feel that fullness when things like that are going on. Or maybe you're in debt and you're just sick of it. and It's driving you nuts. And it's hard to feel that satisfaction. Or maybe, maybe you're a young parent and while you're satisfied with your children, you love them, parenting is hard. And maybe there's some things about parenting you weren't expecting. And now you're like, wow, this is really challenging. And sometimes it's hard to be satisfied with our ability to parent. Or maybe it's health problems. Or maybe it's memories of things that happen to you. Whatever it is, there's times when we're really struggling to feel satisfied. And this text is a beautiful picture of Jesus' ability and desire to have us be satisfied in Him. And so we want to see that dissatisfaction should drive us to Christ where we find contentment in His amazing compassion. That's our, our main focus for this morning, that dissatisfaction should drive us to Christ where we find contentment in his amazing compassion. We're going to look at three things. I want to talk about uh, one Christ and two things about compassion and three reasons we find contentment in Christ. If you're making an outline, that's where we're headed. One Christ, two things about compassion and three reasons that we find contentment in Christ. So uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at this passage here. Let's talk about one Christ. Here's what I mean by that. We really want to focus on the fact that Jesus is God's compassionate provision for all who trust in him, for all nations, all peoples, all in all times, in all places. There is one Christ. There is one Savior. Now, that might not jump out you at first jump out at you at the first glance in this passage but I want you to look at number 1 verse number 1 and notice that Mark says in those days when again a great crowd had gathered and that's a very important phrase cuz he's saying again and then he's saying the phrase a great crowd and the last time we saw a great crowd gathered was actually back in chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5000 And so when we look at this right out of the gate, Mark is wanting us to compare. He's wanting us to see that there's some similarities and also some differences when Jesus compared or when Jesus fed the 5,000 and when he now is feeding the 4,000. So I want to walk us through that a little bit and look at some of the similarities because there's lots of very strong similarities between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. So much so that some of the scholars, or liberal scholars at least, will say maybe it only happened once and the disciples were just confused or something like that. But there's a plenty of information here to show us that these are two distinct events. And there's a reason why they happened twice. So let's take a look. Think about this. Looking at the text, uh, in verse 2 we see that Jesus shows compassion. If you were to flip back to chapter 6, verse 34, you would see that it was compassion, Jesus' compassion, that initiated his desire to feed this crowd. So in both cases, it's Jesus' compassion that is the highlight here. 
Also, if you look at verse 4, you see that they're in a desolate place. That word means desolate or it means wilderness. And same thing in the feeding of the 5,000. Back in chapter 6, they were in a desolate place. Same word. Okay, so we see Jesus' compassion. We see the desolate place. Also, look at verse 5. Jesus asks them, how many loaves do you have? In both feedings, the 5,000 and the 4,000, Jesus says that exact same line. And what it does is it puts a special emphasis on the bread. You know how there's bread and fish? But he wants a special emphasis on the bread in both cases. Okay, 5,000 and 4,000, emphasis on the bread. We'll come back to that. Also, if you look at verse 6, Jesus blesses the bread and breaks it. Okay, so he takes all these seven loaves that they have and he breaks each one of them. And then he, he, uh, he says thanks, he blesses them. This is also very significant. And that happens in both cases. Okay, in the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, both of those happen. Uh, also, the disciples distribute the food. In both cases, after Jesus prepares this meal, they set it before the people. In fact, that line, set before the people, is in both chapter 6 and here again in chapter 8. Everyone eats and is satisfied. That word satisfied appears in both feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000. There's lots of leftovers, several baskets full in both cases. It's thousands of people in both cases. And uh, afterwards, Jesus and the disciples wind up in a boat. Now, in chapter 6, there's that special, interesting uh, situation where the disciples get in the boat and go, and then Jesus catches up with them by walking on the water. Okay, But in this case, they do still wind up in the boat. They just all get in at the same time. But what you see here, then, is in both cases, in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, you see Jesus' compassion and this incredible provision and the satisfaction of the crowd. Okay? Now here's the difference. Okay, one of the differences is the amount of people. That's one of the easy differences. You don't even have to be that good at math to see that one. 5,000, 4,000, which we know is actually more than that because they just would count the men in that case. But here's one of the key differences that really helps us begin to see why Jesus would do this again. When Jesus fed the 5,000... Geographically speaking, he was in an area that was predominantly Jewish. And so he fed 5,000 and actually many more than that, but at least 5,000, maybe 10,000 or 15,000. Jesus fed thousands and thousands of Jews. And he was presenting himself as the God of the Old Testament who provided for the Jews, who provided for the Israelites when they were in a desolate place, when they were in the wilderness in the book of Exodus. They had left uh, slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt and they were in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat. And so God provided manna for them to eat and it satisfied them. And so then now Jesus in the feeding of the 5000, he's he's doing that same thing. Here's the Israelites in the wilderness and he's providing for them. He is showing that he is God, that he is divine, that he provides for his people. Even in John, he says that he is the bread of life. And it's this beautiful picture of God providing for his people, satisfying his people with his amazing compassion. Now, that's the feeding of the 5,000. Here's what's so amazing about the feeding of the 4,000. The last geographical marker that we had in the book of Mark tells us that Jesus was in an area that's predominantly Gentile. 
So he is feeding, this time, Gentiles. We see that because we know the last time we saw a geographical marker, they were near the Sea of Galilee. They were in the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis was uh, an area of ten sort of spread out cities. But it was all Gentiles. It was predominantly Gentiles that lived in the Decapolis. And so when you see Jesus say that they, some people have come from far away, it's a picture of the fact he's talking about all the people having come from the Decapolis. Some of those cities are farther than others. And so there's this powerful picture of Jesus feeding the Gentiles. In fact, there's another thing that points us to this. Now, it has to do with numbers and symbolism. And we've got to be careful with that. Okay? We've always got to be careful with numbers and symbolism. Otherwise, suddenly the president's the Antichrist and we all need to get in a bunker. Just, we just get crazy. Okay? So we've got to be careful when we talk about numbers and symbolism. But there is numbers and symbolism in the Bible. And in this case, it's pretty interesting. So let's file this under interesting. When Jesus fed 5,000 Jews, there were 12 baskets left over. And there are 12 tribes of Israel. When Jesus fed 4,000 Gentiles, there were seven baskets left over. And there happened to be, within Israel at this time, there were seven Gentile nations living inside of their boundaries. So some scholars think that maybe that's a further picture, a further help to see What's clear here is that Jesus is doing for the Gentiles exactly what he had done for the Jews. He is feeding the people. He is meeting their need. He's having compassion on them, just like he had with the Jews. Now he's doing with the Gentiles, which shows that he is the Savior of all people who will believe. Jesus is the one and only compassionate provision of God for all people. This means that no matter who we are, no matter where we're from, no matter what religions we've been involved in in the past, no matter what places we're from, what countries we are in now or we have lived in, it's all pointing to Jesus being the one person that, Jesus, that God has sent to redeem us, to have compassion on us. And it means that God loves the nations, that God has this tremendous heart for the nations, all the nations of the world. And we pray every week at our church for one of these unreached nations or unreached people groups. The group we prayed for this morning doesn't have any Christians whatsoever. But here's what we know. God loves those people. Because we see his heart for the nations even in this passage. And, you know, there was foreshadowing of that. We saw a little foreshadowing of God's love for the nations when we saw Jesus dealing with some of the Gentiles. Remember when he met with the Syrophoenician woman, which Mike talked about a few weeks ago? And there was that little discussion about bread and her being a Gentile wanting to be fed. Do you remember that? She needed Jesus to cast out a demon from her daughter. She needed help. And Jesus helps her. And it's that foreshadowing of that, yes, Jesus is not only providing bread, He's not only providing compassion for the Jews, but also the Gentiles as well. And then on top of that, you see in this text, I think you see a really amazing foreshadowing of the Great Commission. You see God's love for the nations in the way that we know that Jesus will eventually die, rise again, and then send the disciples out to make disciples of all nations. And here's what he does in this passage. What he does is he does this miracle. He does this incredible provision. And then he sends the disciples to set it before the crowd, which is made up of all sorts of different nations. And so he sends them to set what he's provided in front of the nations. That is a picture of the Great Commission. It shows us God's heart for the nations. And that's exciting for a church like UPC because we are surrounded by the nations here. Some of you may not know this, but we've had uh, in our building, in our ESL ministry this year, we've had people from over 40 different countries 
uh, here experiencing the love of Christ. And so it's just amazing. So, so God's heart for the nations. Jesus is the one and only provision uh, from God that we all need to look to and then set him before the nations as part of the Great Commission. Let's talk about two things about compassion now. Two things about compassion. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them are from far away. Let's talk about two things. What is compassion and how do we get it? What is it? How do we get it? What is it? Uh, Compassion, this word in Greek is very interesting and it's hard to pronounce. so I'm not going to bother. But it's really an amazing word because it it points to a deep yearning inside uh, where somebody is moved with pity. And actually something happens. It's a deep-rooted desire for somebody to be alleviated of their pain that actually causes you to act. Okay, it's not just a feeling. It's something that you actually act upon. Okay, and so like, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's from a root word that means the entrails of an animal. So it's really one of those deep-seated feelings. Uh, but again, when we're thinking about biblical compassion, it's way beyond a feeling. It's a feeling that's so strong that it causes a person to do something, to act on behalf of a person who's in need. Uh, some of you know that my cousin is on TV, and um, he's a pretty funny guy. And uh, there's this, uh, he did this comedian thing, and then there's more you can see online. When you watch online, you see Keenan Ivory Waynes, if you know who he is. He basically tells my cousin that he looks like George McFly. Uh, do you remember George McFly from Back to the Future? Okay. And, and so I've been thinking about my cousin and therefore a lot about George McFly. And there's this, there's this great scene in that movie where George McFly, who is this skinny, wimpy, uh, you know, nerdy guy, he gets in, in trouble. Basically, what happens is he opens this car door. If you remember the movie, he opens the car door. It's supposed to be someone else, but it turns out to be Biff, this big, tough guy who is trying to take advantage of and actually hurt this young lady that George McFly really likes. And what happens is he says, you know, take your hands off of her. And Biff gets out of the car and grabs George's hand and puts it behind his back. And so now George is just completely incapacitated. He's upset. He's hurt. He's kind of wincing in pain. But what happens is he hears this young lady scream, George, help, help me. And you see great scene, right? His little scrawny fingers ball up into a fist. And at the right moment, he just turns around, he socks the guy, Biff rolls up, hits the car, falls down on the ground. And then George says, you know, can I take you to the dance? Remember that scene? Just great, great, great scene, right? Great writing. But the the reality is, That was compassion. That, that George was not just feeling like this young lady needed help. He did something. He wanted to protect her. He could not sit by. And that's the kind of compassion that Christ has for you and me. That these things that are hurting us and trying to destroy us in our lives, these big monsters that we deal with, Jesus cannot, he will not stand by. He has to do something. And so that's, that's what compassion is. It's, it's when we see someone uh, act in order to alleviate someone's situation. And that's what Jesus did for these people here. And so the question then is, how do you get it? How do we get it? How do we receive that from Christ? And what's so amazing is what we see about in this passage is, is it's really through keeping our eyes on Jesus and our faith in Jesus, focusing on him. You see, whenever we need compassion, what we really want is one of two things to happen. We either want the problem to go away, something we're dealing with, 
Or we want ourselves to change so that we can handle it or something. And either way, that would be compassionate for Jesus to do that. But what we see in this text is there's this, this focus on Jesus. They are, this crowd is like laser locked on Jesus. Look at how he says, they have been with me for three days. Now that phrase, have been with me, is actually one word in Greek. It's the word prosmenein, and it means to remain with, but it also means to be steadfastly devoted to, and to even have an enthusiasm about. One author says that it suggests that the crowd had a special adherence and commitment to Jesus. In other words, they are focused on Him. All these days... Even though they're running out of food, it's like they're barely noticing it because they are so laser focused on him and what he's done and what he's saying. They are being nourished through that. They're being provided for through what he is teaching them for these three days. And the crowd is just laser focused on them. And it's almost like they didn't even realize that they're running out of food. Jesus is the one who brings it up. The disciples didn't say anything. It's not like people were in the crowd were saying, hey, we're really hungry. No, Jesus knows that they have this need, they're focused on him, they're being nourished by him, and then he meets the need that they have. Jesus wants our eyes on him. That our eyes would be on him instead of on the things that we are wrestling with. And I I just was talking to a friend of mine last week, and we had a great conversation about something like this. He was telling me a story about how uh, sometime in the last few years, he got a call from his boss and they said, we're going to change your job and and give you $10,000 less each year. So obviously right there, that's a situation where there's going to be some panic and some some worry and some dissatisfaction. And it was interesting. He just told told me that that he, he just felt like he just needed to keep his eyes on Jesus, focus on the Lord, trust that Jesus knew the condition he was in, what how that was going to affect his family. And then, not too long after he takes this pay cut, he gets an offer from another company that that does the same thing. And they want to pay him what he was making before he took the pay cut. So he takes that job, and it's a better job in general. And then uh, within a year, he gets a raise, and he's doing even better than he was. There's more than he even needed. Now, we're not a prosperity gospel church, so I, 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 I I hesitate to even use that as an example. But the reality of Jesus wanting you and me to be focused on him when we are struggling to be satisfied instead of what it is that's causing our dissatisfaction is so clear. It's so powerful in this text that they're staring at him. They're learning from him. They're growing in their relationship with him. He knows what we need. He knows what you and I need. And he knows that more than anything, we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And as we do that, it prepares our hearts to receive his incredible compassion. He's going to come, whatever it is you're waiting for, eyes on him, eyes on him. He'll come, he'll either change your situation or he's going to change you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus does not leave us unsatisfied. In fact, in Matthew's version, it says, I'm unwilling to send them away without feeding them. It is really cool. So finally, three things about Finding contentment in Christ. Look at verses 8 through 10. Three things about finding contentment in Christ. Uh, It says, And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. About 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and they got into the boats. So number one, that Jesus does satisfy when we eat. See, this is the thing. It's like Jesus has the disciples set this before the people. If they choose not to eat it, then they don't get the satisfaction. 
But when they do, when they start gobbling that up, man, they get Kobe satisfied, right? And so that is what we need to understand, that Jesus wants us to be pursuing him, to be focused on him, to be laser focused on him and learning more about him all the time. This is why we're so big about reading our Bibles. We've got the two-year Bible reading plan, about being in a life group, about coming to worship every single week. When we talk about these things, it's not because we think you've got to do these things to be a good Christian now. That is not our intent. That is not where we're coming from. Rather, we know that these are the ways that we are fed. These are the ways that Jesus feeds us, that he gives us the things that we need. He really, truly satisfies us as we grow in our relationship with him, our knowledge of him, our understanding of him and what he's done on the cross. I mean, that, that word satisfied is really awesome. I love the imagery in this word because it means to fill, feed, or fatten an animal. To fatten up an animal, right? And so that's the type of satisfaction that Jesus has for us when we, when we receive what he's got for us in his word, in community with other believers, as we worship. We get fat on his glory. Absolutely amazing. So he really does satisfy us when we eat what he has for us. Number two. That Jesus satisfies us in different ways. I think a lot of times we think, I've got these issues in my life, but Jesus doesn't care about those. He does. He cares about everything that is causing any type of harm or dissatisfaction or sadness. He cares about us. He is the good shepherd. He loves us so much. He wants those things as well to be brought to his feet and that we would focus on him when we're struggling with anything. In fact, I love one author says this about all the different ways that Jesus satisfies us, meets our need. He says, in Jesus are riches if you are poor, friendship if you are forsaken, honor if you are despised, help if you are injured. Mercy if you are miserable, joy if you are sad, protection if you are in danger, deliverance if you are captive, life if you are mortal, and all things if you have nothing at all. He provides through his compassion, and that gives us contentment. Third and finally, Jesus satisfied and satisfies through the cross. Think about the emphasis of bread, the emphasis on bread in this feeding. We see that the disciples, when uh, Jesus mentions that they're hungry, the disciples say, where we, don't, you know, where are we going to get bread? Okay, then Jesus asks them, how many loaves of bread do you have? Jesus takes all seven of those loaves and one at a time just breaks them in the eyes of, these, of this crowd. They're watching him break this bread. And what's so amazing about this is it's a foreshadow. It's pointing to the cross when he will be broken in our place. When his body would be broken and his blood would be poured out so that you and I could receive forgiveness for our sins and be declared righteous in Christ. God is holy. He has wrath for sin. We're all sinners. That wrath must be satisfied. God must be satisfied. His wrath, his divine wrath needs to be satisfied. And what's so powerful about this is what we know about Jesus and the cross is that on the cross, Jesus was satisfying God. Satisfying God's demand for justice for your sin and mine. And so when we see that, that Jesus chose to be the satisfaction of God, that's what really empowers our satisfaction in him. In fact, what's so interesting, if you look back at verse 2 and 3 again, he says, I have compassion on the crowd. Uh, He basically says they won't make it. If they try to leave here without being fed, they're not going to make it home. And what a picture, what a big picture, a beautiful picture of the the, the main story of all the Bible. 
that Jesus would look at us, the crowd, and see that if they try to get home, if they try to stand before God, they're not going to make it. Because they're sinners. So he has compassion on us. He comes to ensure that through his death on the cross and our gift of faith that we receive from God, that we are reconciled to God, that God is satisfied with what Jesus has done, and therefore we can be satisfied with what Jesus has done too. It's such an amazing picture, knowing that we would fail. But now we won't, because Jesus has satisfied God for us. Not only his wrath, but he satisfied the demands of the law. He satisfied everything. So no matter what's going on in our lives, we can always stop and rest and celebrate the fact that God is satisfied with us. He is content with us. The number one thing that will help us to be satisfied is to know that God is satisfied with us in Christ. The number one thing, let me say that again, the number one thing that produces contentment, satisfaction in our lives is knowing that God is satisfied with us. And because of Jesus, He is And sometimes I think we struggle with thinking about, does God really love me? Is he really satisfied with me and what I'm doing? And the answer is yes. Even though we sin, he looks past that because of Jesus. He is satisfied. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ, and he is satisfied. Like not just, yeah, okay, I'll deal with them. No. Kobe, full, satisfied. When God thinks of you and me, he thinks, "Mm, yes, absolutely love and cherish my people. And so that's the number one thing that leads to contentment is to continue to celebrate that on the cross Jesus satisfied God and his wrath so that we could experience compassion and the amazing satisfaction and contentment that comes with it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord Jesus, we praise you and worship you that you would come and be broken in our place. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to apply these things, that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that the issues and the problems that we struggle with would begin to loom smaller and smaller as the cross looms larger and larger in our life. And then would you empower us to set these things before the nations so that more and more people can receive the compassion from you in Christ and be satisfied. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.